1: Our guest this afternoon on Digging in the Dirt is Jade Todd Fernandez. He's executive director of the organization Climate Crisis Policy and the newly formed Earth Bill Network, a 2030 moonshot for Earth. A nationwide group of expert volunteers and organizations working together to pass scientifically based federal climate legislation to stop our current pollution now before it's too late for our children and all life on Earth. Welcome, Todd.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Great to be here.
1: So reading that statement, what do you mean by our current pollution? Is that has something to do with the carbon countdown?
0: Yes, it exactly has to do with that. So I came from the gay rights movement and the comprehensive immigration reform movement. And then 20 after the People's Climate March, I turned my attention to this movement and started digging in these websites. And I found this carbon clock. And it counts down the amount of years and months until our pollution that we're pumping into the air right now, until that locks in certain degrees of warming. 1.5 is a big number and two is a big number. And this carbon clock uh, basically freaked me out and um, it now shows six years, eight months, until we have pumped enough of our pollution into the air that we lock in the 1.5 degrees global warming, we're already at 1.2. And between 1.5 and two degrees, there are tipping points, like the ocean currents will stop flowing. (laughs) Imagine that, and then the ice sheets melting, and those set in domino effects that lead to catastrophe.
1: When you say lock in, what does it mean 1.5 centigrades would be locked in?
0: See, this is the thing about this, because there's this lag in time. So the pollution goes in the air, And then it takes a little while for the heating to happen. So it's like if you have a pot that's boiling and you put the lid on it, slowly the temperature reaches a point and then it's boiling, right? So this is the thing with our pollution in the air. There's enough CO2 pollution, greenhouse gas pollution, that we are certain to go over 1.5 degrees average global warming. Don't forget the North part is already four degrees warmer. And so it's on average. And those are the numbers that the scientists tell us uh, we should be terrified about.
1: So you've been doing climate crisis policy. What Before we go to the Earth bill, let's talk a little bit about the climatecrisispolicy.org. What, what's going on there? What has been happening?
0: So if you go to climatecrisispolicy.org, you'll see essentially a digest. And what we did a couple of years ago, working with all sorts of groups and academics, etc., we pulled together all the expert reports, existing bills, and laws that have passed in the states, so we could see all the policy solutions that everyone was proposing in one place. So we're like master librarians collecting all the research papers, the thousands of pages, and then excerpting up from the specific policy under each sector, like electricity, transportation, agriculture, etc., and we used Project Drawdown, which is sort of the most authoritative scientific analysis of the sources of greenhouse gases. And so we used that outline. And then we plugged in all the policies that matched those solutions and cross-reference all the documents that had the same idea. And the point of this was to show the common opinion of this extremely decentralized climate industry movement and show that there was a really a common ground and uniformity of opinion on some major things. And that came about because everyone was fighting about this and that. I'm like, well, what are all the solutions? What do you really agree upon? I'm sure it's more than you're fighting over. And that's what happened there. And we launched that last year. And if you go to the digest, you'll see over 700 solutions, very specific. From that, we started looking at what are the common themes across the various coalitions And what, you know, what is everyone asking for that they agree on? And that's how we landed on this earth bill idea.
1: Okay. So that brings us to the earth bill. What what are we talking about with the earth bill network?
0: So the earth bill is the crystallization of our thinking that just finally appeared. Like, why didn't we realize this before? There are three things that most people agree on that we need to do. We need to go to hundred percent renewable electricity, hundred percent electric vehicles, and 100% regenerative agriculture. And so these thoughts are in all these documents and we did, finally the light went off. Let's put them in one bill. It'll be two pages. It's electricity, cars, and food. So it's understandable to the masses. It's these processes that how we create our electricity and, and how we create our food that are causing the pollution that we have to stop. So that's why it's all about stopping our pollution. The earth bill is a call to action to stop our pollution in these three major areas. And if we do this, we will solve 80% of the pollution problem. And that is a huge step in the right direction. And so we're very excited. I'm a movement activist and I worked on the Equality Act for gay rights and comprehensive immigration reform for that movement. A movement needs a demand. And it needs to be understandable. It needs to be a solution to the problem. Um, It needs to call the political question and needs to be something that we can get arrested for. And the earth bill meets all of those criteria.
1: So given the inability of the Senate and the Congress to get anything done, what makes you think that they will adopt any of this that you're proposing, especially because the lobbyists have so much influence in the Congress and the lobbyists for these three sectors are really spending a lot of money to defeat things like you're suggesting?
0: Well, absolutely. So as I say, I come at this from a movement building perspective. My assessment walking into the climate movement was it was decentralized and had no real power. There are thousands of issues, millions, there are thousands of groups, literally. And they didn't have political power because they weren't working together on a shared demand. So all of our work has been to get people aligned on their policy demands so we could have an actual outside force pushing this. And so we have Fridays for the Future, and we have Extinction Rebellion, who I've worked with extensively on actions outside the New York Times office and others. So they're ready to run with this as an actionable demand on July 2nd. And we're going to take this case to the congressional offices and districts across the country. Beyond our network, which everyone's welcome to join, it's open, it's transparent, it's inclusive. We organize in regular meetings that are open to everyone. But besides our effort, The Chesapeake Climate Action Coalition is working on a clean energy standard, which is one piece of this. Um, The U.S. Climate Action Network is also um, we're involved with and they're interested in pushing the clean energy standard as a key element. So there's mobilization happening now, finally, within the climate movement around a centralized demand. It's the electricity piece. So it doesn't necessarily include the uh, cars and agriculture decarbonizing the electricity sector could really be 70 to 80% or more because there are all sorts of attendant um, benefits. So there's a push, I don't, President Biden has also just said that he um, is supportive of 100% clean energy, he calls it, by 2035. And there's a big pushback, like you say, from the lobbyists and the corporations that hold sway and have always hold sway that are doing the polluting. Um, there's a big pushback. So in terms of whether it's viable or not, I think we're in the right zeitgeist moment. The leadership is saying some of the right things. Uh, The definition of what counts as clean energy, uh, that's why we say renewable electricity. So that means wind, solar, geothermal, tidal, and wave. We're very specific about that. But nevertheless, this is the conversation that's happening. It's ripe. The moment is here. It will depend on whether the people rise up and demand it. And we have till the end of June to get this in the House infrastructure bill. There's only the first opportunity; it's not the
1: last. Sure, yeah, you got to keep pushing. So you're saying it's a twenty thirty moonshot. So we're talking nine years. What's the likelihood of of you making that goal? I mean, I do believe, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. That there, you you can feel a sense from people that oh yeah, this climate change thing is happening. They notice the winds, the storms, the fires, whatever it is in their particular area, but. How is the public responding to this, do you think?
0: Well, to stop the storms, we have to stop the pollution. It's our pollution that's causing the warming, that's causing these storms to get worse and worse. And this is just the beginning. It's going to become unlivable. So that's the mandate that we face. That's the the, uh, cost of inaction.
1: People are recognizing there's a problem. But... What is the likelihood that enough people are going to make it, it uncomfortable for the politicians and in these industries that we get actual change by 2030?
0: So like I said, we have six years, eight months till our pollution levels lock in the 1.5. So that's the scientists. And you can look at any carbon clock. On, there's one on our website, climatecrisispolicy.org. So you can look at that clock and you see the timeline that we face. And, it, and everyone was saying at the presidential climate summit, that they want to still try for the 1.5. So they're saying that. And the way you accomplish that is by mandating an end to the pollution inputs of fossil fuels and requiring the utility companies nationwide to go to 100% renewables. This is already happening. Um, And many Midwestern states and other utility companies are already making these commitments. 18 states have commitments to renewable energy of some kind. California, the governor just came out with an executive order the other day pledging to get rid of their fossil fuel, um, part of their energy, which is like 30 percent by 2045, I think. So everybody's talking about this. Everybody knows this is the right answer. The question of political will is really the variable. It's not a scientific problem. It's a political science problem. And that's where the real variable is. But if we do pass it, what happens when you put this in place is that you basically send a message to the private sector and the renewable energy community is out there and they say they're ready to build. So, but what you do is by mandating the utilities buy 100% renewable, you put a purchase order in play, a procurement, and then it the, goes out from the utility company saying, we will buy your renewable energy, build it. And that's what sets the, the moonshot in motion, the gold rush, if you will. All, um, all these moments where we just, Thrust ourselves exponentially forward, um, because there will be a market for those uh, for those windmills and and uh, all the le- renewable solar stuff. I think we can do it if we decide to do this together. It's it's not a we can build it. It's just some solar panels, some wires. You know, it's not uh, rocket science. We're not trying to defy gravity.
1: We're talking to J. Todd Fernandez. He's the executive director of the organization Climate Crisis Policy and the newly formed Earth Bill Network. Todd, the Biden administration is making all kinds of good noises in this regard. I mean, they're, they seem to be pushing policies that are sort of aligned with what you're talking about. Are they just giving lip service to the people who are trying to fight for this, or are they actually involved in what makes it different than what you're doing?
0: So- There's some great people in the administration, obviously, and I think their intentions are uh, sincere and they're hard at work on this. The difference between what they're proposing, which is a a lot of spending and and infrastructure improvements and R&D and tax credits, the difference between those and this is that they don't mandate an end to pollution. And that's what we have to do is stop digging the grave that we're in by our own emissions. And that's the bridge too far, obviously, politically, because once you say we're going to outlaw fossil fuels and the utility sector, you've taken on the fossil fuel industry directly. So they're trying to come up with a, a, a positive step forward that does start to do the substance of the transformation and the sense that in the areas in which government can support that. And so it's all good. These are all pieces that you would definitely have in a plan if you were trying to move forward on this agenda, but it doesn't have the mandates in law that give the market the absolute certainty that makes their projects bankable that the earth bill would give. And so, like I said, they're talking about a clean energy standard, and that would be extremely valuable if they define it so broadly that it allows all kinds of things in it. It's going to upset the climate community, but and it might also then negate the power of that of that mandate to spur the scale and timeline of renewable build out that we need. So it's just, doesn't have the mandates. It's like all the goodies without any of the, you know, medicine. And it's like, if you have two children and one of them's delightful and doing wonderful things and the other one's destroying your home and you say, well, I'm going to give the good kid an additional allowance. (laughs) And then you just ignore the bad kid who's destroying your home. And that's the political fight they don't want to have, obviously, for understandable reasons. We've been in a fighting mode and everybody's tired of it. They're looking for a little bit of a peaceful way forward. And don't forget, they're dealing with slim margins in the Senate. So it's not like a cakewalk even with this. Um, But I think we can get the clean energy standard in there. The question is, how will it be defined and how much teeth will it have in terms of enforceability, mandates, potential liability for executives who don't do the right thing and intentionally try not to. So there are lots of details there that matter.
1: So like Michael Mann says, nobody's denying anymore. They're just delaying and diffusing and pushing it off. That's Uh, exactly the problem. Because they want to make money as they come to the end of their error.
0: That's exactly right. And this is a race against time. If it weren't, if there weren't for the carbon clock, and if it weren't too late already, almost frankly, for these numbers, 1.52, the trajectory is three degrees warming by the end of the year. This is catastrophic. This is um, the why they talk about mass extinctions because it will change the way in which we've grown food and the climate across the globe. Um, the disruption politically, migrants, you name it, it's just devastating. We're talking about the demise of human civilization on Earth as we know it. So this is a very serious alarms that are going off, and so these 1.5 and two degrees These were supposed to be the outside, you know, we're we're at 420 parts per million. I don't talk in these terms because I'm not a scientist. We're supposed to get back down to 350. So not only do we have to stop our pollution, which is, you know, we're still barreling ahead, oil barreling ahead. Frankly, the emissions are on the rise still. Um, And this is a global thing we have to address. And even at the summit, we only had 50 percent of the world's economies there. So, you know, we're not even... of the gate really on this fight we're still standing there waiting to to start our moonshot and that's why we're trying to get the earth bill into law now why we have control uh, of rational people have control of the government relatively rational because we do need this it takes time to build all this stuff obviously and we are we've lost the time that we had from 40 years of subterfuge and intentional misguidance from the fossil fuel industry that has really uh, run out the clock. So we need an emergency and we need to be a moonshot for Earth, a 2030 moonshot for Earth because the, we're going to overshoot that even. But if we set that ambitious goal, we'll accomplish a lot more.
1: And in your climate bill package, you have several categories. I'm just going to list them real quick. Electricity, greenhouse gas policy, food and agriculture, general farm policy, land, water and forest, materials, waste and recycling, buildings, Women's health and education, just transition, environmental justice, and you know that's a lot of moving parts and a lot of agenda. We, I don't have a lot of time here to talk to you about all these, but maybe we could just touch on, like, say, food and agriculture and the general farm policy. And since this is digging in the dirt, we we talk about that kind of stuff a lot here. But what do you, what do you give people an idea what you're talking about there when getting control of the of the food and agriculture sector?
0: Yes. Wonderful. This is the most exciting part of it. And we've worked really hard to get this right. And that's why there are two whole sectors on farm and agriculture, working with the Tisch Center at Columbia and uh, Family Farm Action Alliance and all sorts of wonderful farm related groups. We have great networks in that direction. This is the big new idea from the Earth Bill, actually, this third level. So it's electricity, cars and food. Food is controlled essentially by big agriculture. So a series of oligarchs corporation styles They have over 50% market share, so they're essentially oligarchs. They control the food production, as you know, in the United States. We finally came up with the idea everybody wants regenerative agriculture because it will save the soil, which we only have 60 harvests left, I'm told, before the soil is dead globally and we can't produce food. So we have to revert to regenerative practices. Like, let's put the mandates on big ag, <laughs> So we defined big ag as these companies, if they make farmers use their seed, their chemicals, their pesticides, their fertilizers, if they have control over the farmer via contract, essentially, and control the land use processes because of that, and they have over 15% market share and a few other criteria we put in this definition, then we capture them, we call them industrial plant and animal corporations and we require that they adopt regenerative practice it says this would reach 242 million acres of US farmland. The regenerative agriculture definition is very specific and it was written by representative Holland and uh, Cory Booker. it's in the Climate Stewardship Act and it's very it basically specifies starts with a and ends up like double Z of types of regenerative practices that are allowed. Um, we're also making sure we get the ranching in there and that piece. So, this would ban pest, ultimately, have the effect of ending CAFOs and ending pesticides. And it would just revolutionize the way um, we farm at that scale. And this is critical because it would create a carbon sink in that soil that could really help absorb past pollution um, that we have to also draw down. So, this is the new idea. And it, it came from the fact that the ag people fight their farm bill fights every year and they don't get anywhere the fossil fuel regenerative people, the pipelines activists, the pest, the butterflies and the people who are trying to protect biodiversity. We have the Endangered Species Coalition is in our network. Um, all these folks have been fighting their individual fights and not winning. And I'm about winning. I want to get this done. So we had to unite agriculture, fossil fuels, and now electric vehicles to bring the activists' passions together. And we still have a huge uphill battle on that. But the, the, the seed of this idea that we can join forces in one little bill, the Earth bill, a couple pages, um, and solve this overwhelmingly complex problem is really catching on. And I'm, I'm excited again, and I'm old and tired, but I'm ready to get arrested again. And that's what's going to take. We're going to have to have a lot of civil disobedience, and a lot of people are going to have to get arrested to save this planet. But at least we've queued up the right demand, and we're ready to go all in.
1: Yeah, so you're thinking a lot of clout comes from numbers.
0: It's all going to be about numbers. There's no hope unless we, that's why we're organizing by congressional district. We have adopted district campaign, uh, local chapters of 350, of climate reality, Sierra Club, the local Iowa climate group, Fridays for the Future. They're adopting their local congressional districts. And then they're organizing many coalitions within those districts. Um, I'm in Espyat's district in New York. And so I'm working to, on networking my own relationships here to get him to co-sponsor the filing of the Earth Bill. Um, that's how I got engaged in this a little bit with Food and Water Watch on the off Fossil Fuels Act back in 2018. And I really put a full court press forward on that to get the climate activists on the ground in New York focused on the idea of federal climate legislation. And Sunrise and 350 and Food and Water Watch were all part of that. And as after we got almost 50 co-sponsors for the OFF Act, including Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America were in that network. They were working with her and we were working with Sunrise on the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge. They got the bug about federal legislation. And after the midterms, they went to Pelosi's office, AOC won and showed up. And the rest was the Green New Deal uh, explosion. And that's why we did the digest to show what should be in comprehensive climate legislation and that's how we ended up with this more focused demand of the earth bill because it really cuts through all the noise and complications and zeros in electricity cars and food it's our pollution it's our money that is flowing to those companies and it's we're the ones who have the power to make our congress people tell them to change the way they do business to save our planet
1: yeah i see that you said responsibility is our production our consumption our pollution
0: Absolutely. And I think that point is important. We're working with a lot of faith communities. I feel it when I know it resonates, like we have to have some responsibility, personal responsibility in this to feel motivated to act. I feel a little guilt, you know, and and truth. And hopefully that will spur more action, but we also have to give the solution, the earth bill. So people don't feel despair. And I think that's what the difference in where we are in this movement as a conversation, everybody knows there's a huge problem. Nobody knows what the answer is. We've now zeroed in on an answer with the earth bill. And uh, the question will be how quickly we can all pivot to making that demand together. We have one opportunity, as I say before, uh, in May and June to get this in the infrastructure bill, but it can go in any vehicle. And it's tied to uh, their taking corporate tax deductions. Their ordinary necessary business deductions will be reduced if they don't meet these goals. And that's a very strong incentive that makes it fit into the budget process, et cetera.
1: So there's people listening right now who may be interested in getting involved. What do you want them to do?
0: This is it. I'm 56 years old and still don't have my civil rights, but I've worked a lot to get the Equality Act filed. It took us six years. People said it would never pass. It would never, 40 years, they predicted before we would have full equality for my community. And I we turned the tide on that timeline by uniting around a comprehensive bill, and it passed the House twice already and is in the Senate. So anything can happen, and that started with a group of five organizations, and we already have hundreds in this conversation. So I believe we are ready. The time is right. The outcome determinative variable is whether all the groups listening endorse it, take the pledge. It's all on the website. Take the pledge. Join our organizing circles. We're going to be meeting Monday nights at 8 o'clock. It's going to be an all-in campaign mode nationwide, finding sponsors, finding groups, finding politicians where they get their hair cut. Um, we're going all in to save the planet because this is showtime. So welcome, everybody. I think you'll have a lot of fun with us, and uh, we're looking forward to it.
1: And they can go to climatecrisispolicy.org, right, to get more information.
0: It's all there for now, and by a week or so, there'll be earthbill.org.
1: Great. My guest has been Executive Director and Legislative Director of the organization's Climate Crisis Policy and the newly formed Earth Bill Network, a 2030 moonshot for Earth. Thank you, Jay Todd Fernandez, for coming on Digging in the Dirt.
0: My pleasure. Let's dig in the dirt and save the dirt. Digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org or digginginthedirtradio.com.